Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the school of Graham and Doddsville and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You're listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where I discuss value investing, rational analysis, and break down the processes, principles, and mental models of business owners and managers. Today, we have on Julian Lin, who is a wonderful, talented writer for a website you probably all know, Seeking Alpha, uh, to talk about U.S. cannabis investing, specifically with two different names, TrueLeaf, which is the ticker TCNNF, and then also Green Thumb. Uh, ticker GTBIF. Julian, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. How are you? It's great. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, for sure. So what's what's been new since uh, last time we talked? I know, you know, we did talk about a few REITs last time. Any update with those? Yeah, last time we talked, I think it was February and the episode came out in March. It was a really awesome oh, the work, time. Yeah, I was great, there, right? Best you know, timing for that, Awesome right? time to get into mall, mall real estate. Right. We talked about two main names, Simon Property Group and Maestrich. Um, at that point, it, it had started in Asia, but I think it, w- it wasn't so clear that it was going to last the whole year in America. I mean, <laughs> right. um, so it, it was terrible time to own those stocks. I mean, after those stocks both crashed, um, after averaging down, I mean, I, I've pretty much almost exited I'm not as bullish on them anymore after everything has changed because of the pandemic. And also with the GameStop uh, volatility, Mace Rich, for example, it even went all the way up to like pre-pandemic levels, which really? is pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Wow. Um, so it was an excellent opportunity to exit. So you sold out of that. these shares. I didn't sell that at the highest price, but I've, okay. I sold out of Mace Rich. I still have a very tiny position in Simon Property Group. It's been disappointing. <laughs> I'm still stubborn. I still think that if there wasn't a pandemic, the thesis would have worked out. But I mean, with this pandemic, it's, it's terrible. It's, well, it's not going to be forever. Yeah. So, I mean, let me ask and we'll push back a little bit. Do you think that the normalized cash flows have changed for these businesses because of the pandemic? Cause you're talking about, I mean, it's not going to go on forever. I mean, I think most experts are saying, you know, it should be at least in decline starting in the summer, you know, with the vaccine rollout. So does that change anything for you? Obviously the market is expecting that, right? Everyone kind of knows that's, that's sort of the general awareness. Um, but you know, as we know, as value investors, that the intrinsic value is based off some kind of normalized earnings or normalized cash flows, not based off one year decline. So, with all that said, how does that impact the thesis? Sure. So, I mean, so the two main companies that we discussed earlier was Simon Property Group, that's ticker SPG. I think they will make out okay, mainly because they entered the pandemic with a very strong balance sheet. So debt rose a little bit. They're going to have some decline in occupancy, but because they were very conservatively managed coming into the pandemic, there's some room for error there. They're not going to really stress. They're going to have a lot of vacant anchor boxes that need a lot of cash to redevelop. But again, their balance sheet is so conservatively leveraged. They just kind of print some money they could um, build. But the problem is Maesearch. And that was the top pick I had when I was, when we met last time, because that was very cheap last time. But Prior to the pandemic, they were kind of running on a tight rope. They already had a highly leveraged balance sheet and they were still paying a very high dividend. They were still rebuilding all these anchor boxes. They were trying to do everything. They were trying to reward shareholders and redevelop at the same time. Mm-hmm. Clearly, it, it's not been the right strategy because after the pandemic hits, now they have a problem where that has gone up because there was some months where they didn't collect all the rent. But not only that, you're going to see 
occupancy go down because there's going to be elevated retail bankruptcies. Mm. So leverage is completely tapped out at Mace Rich. So it's a problem of cost of capital. It's like, how are they going to get more cash to fund all of their redevelopments moving forward? Right. So you're right that like perhaps the business models are not necessarily broken, but the problem is when you leave the pandemic with so much debt and you have to spend so much money on redeveloping like Sears and stuff like that, it's it's not a great spot to be in. It does change the value in, in that regard. Yeah, especially like so SVG for a while traded in the 50s. Now it's 97. I mean, it was, I would have still been saying, okay, we got to buy at 50, but now it's, they both rallied so much, right? May surge was like low single digits for a long time, but all the way up to 21. So there's, I would say like, based on where the stock prices are trading right now, it's hard to be excited about it, considering the pessimistic outlook. I would even add considering other stuff out there that might be cheaper. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I feel like this market is unique in the sense, or maybe it's not unique, but at least in my lifetime, I feel like it's unique. There are parts of the market that I think like severely overvalued. And then I think there's other parts of the market that are like severely undervalued. And there's a real disconnect between different sectors where I think generally there's, there's a little bit more correlation. Absolutely. I think this brings up a good point where you got these people saying, they always say there's a market crash coming. They say, oh, the S&P is relatively overvalued compared to how it was the past century. But I think those people, they're, they're kind of missing the big picture. Um, one, you could make the argument that stocks have been undervalued historically, considering that to deliver like 10, 12% returns every year. But more importantly, to your point, maybe they're just not looking hard enough. They're not like finding where there's big undervalued opportunities. Well, even, even, yeah. even not to look that hard, you know, forget, you know, the <laughs> obscure nano caps that I spend most of my time on, but even look at a, say a company like Facebook, right. Or Google yeah. that have these returns on, you know, returns on capital, crazy gross margins, you know, some of the best businesses that the history of the world has ever seen. And they often trade around market multiples. Yeah. Those are two of my biggest positions, Facebook oh. and Google. Okay. Incidentally, yeah. So you get exactly what I'm saying then. If Facebook grows for the next 10 years at high rates of return, you could argue it should be worth like 50, 60 times earnings, not. Yeah. Especially with Apple trading at like 40 times trailing right, earnings. Right. Where, where should Facebook, Google be at? Yeah, I'm right there with you. So let's jump into marijuana. Yeah. Or cannabis. So today, it's a big difference from the REITs from last time, but yeah. uh, let's talk about cannabis. Uh, I, should, I should have been as, smoking a joint yeah. during this show. That would have been great. <laughs> should have yeah, prepared uh, Elon Musk, right? Yeah. <laughs> As listeners are probably well aware, Joe Biden won the presidency in November. And after he won that, a lot of the cannabis stocks started rising. And it's kind of interesting because furthermore, in January, Democrats won the Senate. So now the Democrats own the, the entire political landscape. So this is very bullish for cannabis stocks. But the reaction was very interesting because the biggest beneficiaries of the political change in terms of cannabis stocks was the Canadian names in terms of like which stocks went up the most. So we're talking why, like- Why growth. is that? Why, why is that? This is really important. And it's also a reason why I'm so excited about these US names. The only cannabis names available to US investors are Canadian names. This is because cannabis stocks, cannabis in general is illegal federally. It's a criminal substance. If you're selling cannabis in the United States, you cannot list your stock in the United States on the major exchange. You could be on the pink sheets, like the over-the-counter uh, exchanges, but you cannot be on NASDAQ like uh, Canopy Growth is or Afria or Aurora Cannabis. So for that reason, 
almost institutional investors don't, they're not really able to invest meaningfully into the, the best cannabis American names. So, I mean, they're, they're kind of left investing in names like Canopy Growth, that's stock ticker CGC, or as I mentioned, Aurora Cannabis, Afria. It's, it's really curious because in Canada, you have this wild, wild west kind of model where there's unlimited licenses. So it's really hard to make any money selling cannabis in Canada. But because they're the only names that you can invest in, supposedly, in America, their valuations are crazy. Uh, for example, Canopy Growth trades at 45 times enterprise value to sales. It's pretty bubbly value. But the idea perhaps would be like, oh, now that the Democrats own the political landscape in America, maybe cannabis will be fully legal. Canopy Growth will be able to come take over to America. It's kind of a far-fetched dream. But the idea is like, Canopy is not really making money. They're not making money. They're burning cash. Whereas you got these American cannabis names that are profitable, but they're only trading around 12 times sales. So you got 45 times sales for Canopy Growth. And it's, it's actually not a very good company. It, it burns cash. Whereas you got these best of breed names in America selling for 12 times sales, which is pretty nuts. Now, 12 times sales, though, you know, first reaction still seems kind of pricey, but you think they're cheap. Sure, absolutely. So you got to take it also in context of the growth. So, sure. For example, the two names I'm going to discuss are TrueLeaf, that's stock ticker TCNNF, or let's focus on that one first. That was sure. Well, both these names, they're all, a lot of the cannabis names in America, they're growing at revenue at triple digits. So revenue at uh, kind of a sales multiple at 12 times doesn't seem so large if you're growing revenue at like 100%, right? right? They really benefited from the pandemic. And this is an industry that's going to have secular tailwinds like forever, uh, just because there's a huge misunderstanding of cannabis. There's a really bad stigma. I mean, you're so going to get more and more people more comfortable, you know. No, I, I got that. So walk me through, are there business models? These two business models, are they different? Uh, they're very similar. They're similar. Yeah. So walk me through one of their, one of the businesses. Just show me so, how they, so how truly, they make money, their, their business model, all of that. Absolutely. So the Canadian names like Canopy Growth, they're just a farmer, basically. They kind of just grow cannabis. Truly, they're kind of vertically integrated operator. So they grow the cannabis. They, they do all the processing and they sell it. So they also own dispensaries. So we're, we're talking about a company that they have 75 stores spread across four states, but they're mostly in Florida. This is okay. mostly a single state operator, but they're trying to branch out to other states. And Florida is a pretty important state because it gets a lot of tourism every year, especially mm -hmm. with Disney World and just the fact is Florida with beaches. No, so is, mar is marijuana great, legal yeah. in, in Florida right now? It's, it's only medically. So medical legal. So you go to a dispensary like even, and you bring your, yeah. you bring your card. Is that like the medical marijuana card? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And even in the current medical marijuana market, truly is actually profitable already. That's so. Um, and that's, and that's pretty remarkable, especially because, so we previously discussed that the American cannabis names, they can't list on like a NASDAQ because cannabis is illegal. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that might change, right? If Biden and the Democrats are some, able to, you know, whether it's this administration or not, I think at some point that, that whether it's five years, yeah, it's, years it's 10 years, more when, not if. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's a huge catalyst. But in addition to that, if you're selling a criminal substance, you're not allowed to write off like certain tax expenses. For example, let's say you own a restaurant and if you have employees, you're allowed to write off employee salaries from taxable income. This is very basic uh, accounting. Yep. But these cannabis companies, they're not allowed to do that. 
they're only allowed to like write off the costs of growing the cannabis, but they're not allowed to write off things like rent, employee salaries, wow. CEO salaries. And, and I didn't so know those that. are not okay. allowed to be deducted. Okay. And furthermore, a lot of banks don't want to work with them. So they have really high interest rates on debt. So they're paying like 10% interest on debt, even though they're like awesome companies. But remember, they're not allowed to deduct things from taxable income. So they're paying, they're not deducting that 10% interest from taxable income. So, so for example, truly in the latest quarter, they had 26.3 million in taxable income, but uh, they paid 21 million in income tax. That's like an 85% tax rate, right? So when you're looking at these companies, they kind of screen expensive. You, you, at first you'll be like, oh, they're not really making any money. But mm-hmm. in reality, it's, it's called 280E tax, basically. This, this thing where they're paying extra tax because they're selling cannabis. Because of that extra tax, it looks like they don't make money. But in reality, uh, when cannabis is decriminalized, they're not going to pay that tax in the future. So if you were to kind of remove that tax, like assume that that tax is removed in the future, they would have made around 20 million. And then when you annualize that number, the shares are actually trading at 60 t- 67 times earnings. And again, you're, you might be thinking, oh, 67 times earnings seems expensive, but they just grew revenues at 100% rate, right? And, and they're still capitalizing on a very growing market. So you're going to see like huge growth at a 67 times uh, earnings multiple. That, that's actually really, really cheap when you factor in like triple digit growth. Right. That's interesting. And then the other one is, uh, is a similar, similar model. Yeah. So Trulieve, um is the most profitable in the industry. A lot of um, people might consider it the gold standard, but they're considered my, I would consider them my second favorite um, name. Okay. My first favorite name is the other name. It's a uh, green thumb. Okay. That's stock ticker GTBIF, mm. green thumb industries. So in comparison with Trulieve, Trulieve was like mainly in Florida with some other states. Green thumb is more spread out. It's more evenly spread out across, I think it's uh, 12 states. Okay, 12 different states. So they're what is known as a multi-state operator. They operate in many states. This is kind of like the biggest thing in American cannabis investing because, I mean, you're kind of in more states. There's more growth, supposedly. So this is a company that they're also profitable. And both these companies, they have a pretty good balance between cash and debt. You're not talking like super leverage. In fact, Trulieve has more cash than debt. Green Thumb is pretty close. So they have strong balance sheets. It's, it's also profitable. I like it more just because it has more of a multi-state presence. And their CEO has a little more, uh, a little more flair. Uh, CEO Ben Kohler, indicative of the fact that there's some billionaires invested in Green Thumb Industries. Uh, there's a billionaire named Leon Cooperman kind of a famous investor, I think Omega Advisors, he's invested in Green Thumb Industries. I think these two would be the biggest beneficiaries if cannabis stocks were to rally just because they're the, they're the kind of the blue chip names, I guess green yeah. chip names if you wanted to play on, play on that. Okay, interesting. And you do own both? Yeah, I, I do own both. I purchased them prior to the November election, but going into the November election, they had like rallied a lot. But then after the election, after the November election, after the January elections, I added to the position just because, I mean, the macro picture is very promising for cannabis over the next two, four years, if the Democrats are owning all of the political positions, you know. All right. Well, interesting. Well, anything else uh, you think is worth covering that we haven't talked about? I think, I think that's mainly it. So the main catalyst for American cannabis stocks, definitely, there's going to, you want to see the, the discount to the Canadian companies narrow just because... The Canadian companies, they're not, they're not that great, but 
American investors are only invested in them because that's all they could invest in. So if cannabis is decriminalized, you're going to see these names list on the NASDAQ. And then, I mean, that, that's a huge technical kind of catalyst right there. Yeah, for sure. Just based on their growth right now, on a fundamental basis, they, they seem quite reasonably valued for the amount of growth, but they seem to be held back just because a lot of big investors are allowed to buy into them in a meaningful yeah. way. Right. Totally. And then you could also say if they get onto the NASDAQ, that gives them the advantage of selling stock as currency to, to help with expansion for you, which for young companies can be extremely beneficial. Absolutely. And also they're going to be able to refinance their 10% yield debt at like what, 2%, 3%. Right. And that that's more when they start writing off expenses and it's a upward cycle with that. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I've had, um, do you know, Jeremy Raper, Raper, Raper Capital? Yeah. I've had him on, you know, quite a few times and he talks about, you know, sometimes being able to buy these companies before they uplist. So sort of a general thing. That's a huge catalyst. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, and, and just finding those opportunities where the market isn't already counting that into the, to the valuation, which, you know, if everyone Absolutely. knows something that prevents you from taking, getting an opportunity there. It's mainly just retail investors in American cannabis names. It, it could be tough because the stocks have already risen maybe like 400% since March of last year when they crashed. Well, also, the if something is traded over yeah. the counter, right? If these are not, if these are unlisted, you know, not on a major exchange, a lot of funds can't own them. Exactly. So that's exactly. a big advantage right there. All right, Julian, it was a pleasure like always, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks for having me on. You again. got it. You got it, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast with Eric Schlein. If you'd like to connect with Eric for questions, comments, feedback, ideas, or to inquire about being on the show, please contact Eric at intelligentinvesting at gmail.com. So, in the words of Charlie Munger, I have nothing to add.